This is Jeff Einermillen, and you're listening to Bladeology Podcast. That being said, uh, let's do it. Let's jump into this like we do every week. Welcome to another episode of the Bladeology Podcast. Uh, we're here with uh, Bill Sharp Knives, Adam. Uh, I'm Jeremiah Burbank from PVK Vegas. Nick Chuprin of NCC Knives. Elijah Isham of Isham Blade Works. And I'm um, Adam from Bill Sharp Knives. Awesome. Adam, thank you so much for being on with us. Uh, pretty excited to talk to you. Uh, what are you doing? What's what's up this week? What are you, what are you working on in the shop? Um, the things that we've been working on right now, uh, I've got the last couple of my customs that I'm working on for our holders. And I've got a few one-offs that I'm doing. And they're kind of taking me a little bit longer than I'd like. But, man, um, these ones are coming out really cool. I'm doing them with uh, the micarta that we've made in our shop. And I've got kind of like a Life Aquatic Steve Zizou feel for this one. It's uh, like a light blue and a cream color. And uh, I'm really excited to see how these come out. I've got some Damascus ones that we're going to work on. And those are going to be the first non-mono steel of the of this particular model that we've been working on. Hmm. That's pretty, so that's pretty exciting. So that's the, the first Damascus using on this model, but certainly not the first Damascus overall. Yeah, no, not overall, but, um, it's actually from the last blade show that we went to, I picked up from, uh, Vegas, Vegas forge for this one. I think it's a houndstooth pattern. Oh, cool. Yeah. That sounds pretty dope. And what's the, what's the name of the model you're working on right now? Well, it's, um, it's a VPK which is a very pointy knife. It's a, <laughs> uh, like a Broken Sakes style, kind of a Kiridashi mix. Um, not quite a Warncliffe. It's a flat grind, and uh, it's like a spear tip. This is our uh, super sleek, low-fat model. Nice. That sounds, mm-hmm. that sounds pretty cool. Um, is it the so holder? You... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I'm familiar with the model. I, you, you've mm-hmm. had that one on Blade before. I didn't realize it was a sax uh, profile, but I see it yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I guess it doesn't really um, fit into mm-hmm. the the Warren Cliff style. It's not quite the Kiridashi. It's not quite the sax, but or sakes. Yeah, know. it's like a it's a hybridization. Yeah, um, this was um, Jackie's brainchild that she came up with. Everything on it's like the tightest fit that we could get. That was the kind of the goal of the project and the aim for the design was you now you nail that simple mechanic and um once it opens and closes everything else from there on out is your work as a designer and the ability to build it as a knife maker mm-hmm. so we wanted this one to be really clean really sharp um and I don't want to say limiting, but like restricting on the amount of things that we could do with it. So I can really focus on like getting this particular style of knife to work as well as I can. Uh, the folder has been a big challenge for us. Like I, I come from chef knives. This is how I got my start. And it's been fun, but my passion in knife making is really the exploration and learning new stuff and just being challenged. Like if I, if I'm having an easy time with it and just pumping out blade after blade after blade, it's it's not fun for me. It's not what I want to do with it. So I'd rather be, um, I guess, kind of like 
making mistakes and breaking things in the pursuit of improvement instead of uh you know wallowing and exceeding in mediocrity on it you know i don't want to get stuck doing the same thing wow you know i'd rather be um the constantly be the little fish in the big pond i guess is what i'm looking at there you go so how long have you been we'll jump back a little bit how long have you been um doing this since when was knife making a a thing that you chose as a as a full-time career Oh, man. It's like a weird story, but I just jumped into it, and I had a job in Philadelphia. I worked at a pretty cool, like, um, it's a gourmet deli, but that sells it so short. It's like a once, you know, like, they don't exist anywhere else in the country kind of place. We had thousands of different types of cheeses coming in and out of the store, and, like, Iberico hams from Spain and just like every kind of delicacy that you could get from outside the States. We had that and it was my job to curate that kind of stuff. So a really fancy way of saying like I worked at a deli and I sliced meat and cheese, but it was um, not quite that either. So um, it's like, a, like a specialty shop, like, yeah. like charcuterie and wine and such. Well, so it's Pennsylvania. So I think they have wine now. But they oh, didn't okay. back then. All right. Everything comes in sandwich form in Philly. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. But so the whole point of that, I guess, is a good like segue into it was you could rent the shop out. But you could bring your own wine. Like we couldn't serve it to you, but I could open it and I could tell you what to eat with it. So mm. that became like a uh, an after hours dining event and. That was like one of the main things that I like to do best with that work because it was on our own terms. We got to design like any of the plates that we wanted to do and basically walk the people through the courses and everything. Do your song and dance for 90 minutes to get paid. And it was an awesome night. Hmm. So the problem was we didn't really have any plates or anything. And they had a bunch of abandoned buildings. And I've always worked with my hands. And I got I mean, kind of bored. Like, it was just a job I had through college, and I didn't have any intentions to stay in there. But it was a really sweet job. So I started making cutting boards, and I started doing, like, not knife tricks, but, you know, like, fun things to do with these huge knives we'd use to cut cheese and just break stuff down. So you'd serve it on this big knife, kind of a la, oh, man, the guys with the steak swords, I don't know, where they grill it and put it on a steak and they serve it to you, right? Is this like so, akin to a meat cleaver, kind of, for the cheese knife, the big cheese knives? Well, there's all sorts of different cheese mm-hmm. knives. Like we used a 12-inch standard chef's knife. That was yeah. just like, a, you know, man, like, Western chef's knife is the best utility tool for food. You can't beat it. Mm-hmm. So all the goofy ones, except for your wire, you know, that makes sense for soft cheese. But other than that, chef's knife rules everything. Mm. Yeah. So I started making cheese boards and, like, inlaying slates into stuff and then i got the itch to like make a knife out of nowhere and i started looking into it and this was like at the burgeoning birth of being able to really get into uh the craft information on the internet like it was there you had to look for it and it it was just starting to get into like a point where you could youtube Basically anything you wanted to. I hadn't quite gotten there yet. This is like 2007, 8, 9, around there. So I ended up leaving my, my job around 2009. And um, 
I've been doing this ever since. Wow. All right. And, and so now uh, you you moved right in and you were full time immediately, like just doing just building boards and kitchen knives or was it like a transition? Well, yeah, we moved like it was a huge jump. Like me and Jackie just had like a big life changing thing all at the same time. I didn't really like my job. I wasn't going to go anywhere with it. So just decided to like up and quit. We're going to try this thing out. And like if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then we'll do something else. And that hmm. was 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Seems like a I, common theme. Like, we were just talking to Jeff. He had a similar them. situation. Like, everybody's, like, getting either fed up with their job or gets laid off or just quits. Or, and then they kind of, like, turn to knife making. Yeah. Um, I was coming off of, um, like, I went to college in Philadelphia. We went, we, Jack mm-hmm. and I met in art school. Jackie's my wife, I should mention, like everybody knows. Um, we both do this together. She's the designer. She works a little bit in the shop, but... Mostly she's all the back end and like essential nuts and bolts. And I just make the stuff look good doing it, you know? So anyways, we met in art school and that's where I've like, I don't know. I'm not saying like I learned a bunch of shit in art school to help me here, but the, all the technical aspects and design and stuff, I ability to use a computer is invaluable. So, yeah, that's true. Like, I hit this right at the right time. I kind of think, I like to think of it, like, in the intro of uh, The Big Lebowski. It's like, I was the guy for the place at the time. And I say that, because it's like, I I don't know, I just started doing this, and, like, I I didn't know what I was doing in the beginning, just like anybody else. Like, having fun, putting stuff up on the internet, people liked it. I got 20,000 followers in, like, six months on the internet. It's pretty damn good. And, um, yeah, it's been weird though, because the numbers on Instagram are totally different. And I've like, I've taken such a huge break from it for the past like six months. I just, uh, I don't know. It's fun and all, but man, every day, all day I've been making kind of the same thing. So it's like, what am I going to post? Like here I am drilling holes, reaming you know? I feel so, you. Like I'm in the same boat. I haven't posted like a month because I was just literally I wasn't really doing much, and now I'm like doing the same thing, just working on a big batch of the same yeah, model. I'm like, I don't same really think. I mean, it's cool and all, but that's why, like, I I just want to be back doing one-offs and like one things, but it's it's so time-consuming with the folders. It's like, it, whole day goes by. I cut a set of bolsters out. It's like, damn, you know, uh, I, I I make everything in here by hand. I know y'all got like, you got your fancy hoss machine. I'm jealous. I got a grizzly <laughs> and like. Hey, I started uh, with I started with a hand uh, a bench drill and uh, a Harbor Freight one by thirty. Yeah, I, I went through all the steps. I didn't just go right to the house. Oh no no no! I'm not I'm not hating. Mm. Yeah, man, my first grinder was a four by forty eight Harbor Freight, but I took um, a five horsepower motor out of a planer and hooked that up to it. Damn! And screamed. And that's how you lose a finger. Oh yeah. yeah. Grinder and four, five horsepower do not mix. <laughs> no, it wasn't really five horsepower, though, if you can, you know, yeah. whatever the what translations are over to it. But Quail it was just like, yeah, I had, I had a lot of fun building my shop. Like, I've that's always been my favorite thing, really, to do is, like, build the workshop. It's same thing. Every time I own a new workbench or new, like, dedicated, like, I just built a, a vacuum table. My All my buffers and bench grinders on it. Oh, yeah. That, that, so, that's awesome. Yeah, it's three grinders on there. It has its own light vacuum setup on there. All the bench grinders. It's great. 
So you 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 took you took from from kitchen knives into folding knives. Um, so you you took a sort of standard route from from making a fixed blade into a folder, but you you started with like a specific kitchen tool, which is which is pretty neat. Um, but you you did a if I if I remember I know I, I was first introduced to your brand uh, through Material. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Oh yeah, so my my true passion is research, and um, I think one of the, the funnest things is like the materials that we use. It's so interesting, like the wood. Why wood has curl? What a burl is like? What end grain versus long grain is? The different orientations. All of that stuff is so interesting to dive into. And then there's micarta. And micarta is the coolest stuff I can think of. It is a reinforced laminate material at a base form. Micarta being the brand name as a Kleenex would be to a tissue product. So I really like the flat colors of paper micarta. And it's hard to find paper micarta because I guess they don't make the same kind anymore, or if it is coming from 3M, the black and white paper that I get from like Macecraft or wherever, USA Knife Maker, something like that, that paper's awesome. Can't see a single layer to it. It's flat, it's matte, it's kind of hard to cut, but once you get it down, you've got this perfectly smooth, velvety, pure color of whatever you want it to be. And that was like my big dream was trying to get like mint or teal in three different shades. How about mid-tone gray or yellow gray? You know, there's all sorts of different colors and you can't really get that in your handle making materials that you just buy from like wherever else trying to research for micarta. And uh, it took like years of just playing around. It wasn't ever anything I really tried to do, but I finally cracked it on how to make the paper and it's a hell of a lot of work, but it's rewarding, and um, I, yeah, I'll talk all about it. What do you want to know? Well, I mean, that's just like, that's an interesting, so I mean, it was built out of a necessity for a specific color you had in mind that one of our traditional suppliers didn't have, and so you, you just dove in. You were like, I want these colors. They're not available, but I mean, did you produce them just for yourself? I mean, you produced them at a, at a point in large quantity or, you know, semi-large quantities for the public and other makers. Yeah, I was doing, um, it was called Very Good Knife Making Supplies, and um, it just started out of, yeah, my own need, but at the same time, it's kind of like um, making any kind of product where, you know, you make one, you got to make 40 of them. If it's going to be at any reason to make it, you can do the micarta one set of scale at a time. If you have a couple vices, clamps or whatever, and you're going to mold, that's fine. It's going to take the exact same amount of time as it's going to take to make 10 sets of scales. You just need a bigger mold. And, yeah. um, you know, the bigger the mold, the more pressure, the more pressure, the sturdier the frame, and it just goes on and on and on. And then you basically have to be um, making, like, a factory-sized thing with Westinghouse products, like smashing them together with a huge hydraulic press. And that's kind of where I fell off with it it was fun and then it exceeded the fun to cost ratio that i was getting into because i was i was loving it making all these different kinds of my card it was awesome it worked so good i'd have like panic attacks at first i was selling them and i was hoping i wasn't gonna get like horrible emails back saying that like 
this guy bought like he bought so much of it it was a brick it was so much of it and i was like i really hope every single piece of this is perfect for you and works and you never have a problem with it and it it's the best thing ever i have no idea though good luck and (laughs) (laughs) um i mean like everything i had made for myself i'd used and it had been great and i tested it and it's like it it's hard to work if you don't know how to work it but so is mammoth ivory so it was like a bunch of other stuff. Carbon fiber is hard to cut, bad to breathe. You know, wear a mask. Yeah, the so, paper stuff burns. Yeah, it burns. Not if you do a wet sanding, and you can wet sand on a grinder. Just use some a spray bottle and Windex. Works great. Yeah, how is that paper micarta to grind? Is it like does it want to burn or what? Um, it it, it does want to burn. You gotta use, like I said, you gotta cut it wet. The, the lighter colors, at least, dude. The dark ones, not as much because you don't notice mm-hmm. it. Yeah, you don't notice it, but it'll it'll separate too if you get it like hot, hot. Does it get hot like uh like the heat transfers through it or something like? No, you gotta really be yeah. You'd have to yeah. be like a bonehead grinding. Yeah, like, you, you won't so really. Hard. Yeah, you won't really feel it transfer. But like when I used to kitchen knives, I used to do a lot of brass guards and brass inlays, and that's where you I fuck up. The brass will heat up and it'll start to melt the the the, the micartas around the brass and liners or. Yeah, bolsters and stuff like that. Yeah, you start to see your epoxy bubble up around it. Yeah, learned that one the hard way. Because I used to make, when I first started 10 years ago, I couldn't afford materials or anything like that. So I used to be a lot bigger. And at a certain point, I was a size like 34 jeans, but I had a bunch of like size 48 jeans that I couldn't do anything with. So I just cut it up and made a bunch of denim micarta back in the day. But yeah, that was the same thing make a small sheet and make a large one. It was pretty much the same thing. For like for like paper templates, uh, I was very surprised that when I finally did it myself, um, how fast it wants to burn, just from the uh, heat transfer in the steel. Yeah, I was never a fan of using paper templates and glue. Yeah, because I was wondering, I was like, is paper micarta like similar? Does it want to like start singeing and like burning off? Yeah, well, you learned you made knives with John Gray. And John well, he kind of just was like, "Here's the grinder, go for it." I'm like, yeah, right, no, cool. you, you saw him make knives. He just kind of turns that thing to 100 and like ramps it. Like I don't grind like that where there's that much heat. I don't. Yeah, like, I had to. I don't like sparks being produced. I had to go slow to keep from just burning the paper away. Yeah, I think um, coarse cuts like go yeah. jump right in with a 36 grit, nice and slow. But again, cut it close with a bandsaw, and then um, maybe. Uh, an 80 grit to get it right up onto the spine and then a 300 after that but all that could you could do the 80 300 all that wet sanded and then finish right. it however you want where the mm-hmm. hell do you get 300 grit belts i've never seen that one before oh 320 um uh, okay those i got oh yeah sorry 320 like um 300 sorry yeah because no, i got three some 240s that are, are like no i got 240s that are like an odd that number i've been using those a lot lately hmm I'm just like, you know, comfortable throwing out the general whatever mm-hmm. belt. Yeah, Elijah, next time you do it, like, I used to just make a template out of wood and a scribe, so that way it didn't disappear. Yeah, I don't know how I would do it moving forward. Um, I have to figure something out, like, with a template and just scribe it, but yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and the paper, it's like, no way to do it, because then if you dip it, then it gets all wet, and it's like, fucked anyway. Step one, get a grinder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Step two, get some micarta. Yeah, the shop to use it in. So, so you're you're making my card. You're having a great time. You're selling it. Um, so for a period, thing things are good. Um, I'd you're love to know all, a little all bit. All the money. Yeah, I'd love I'd love to get into a little specifics about making my carta. Um, 
just because I, I'm pretty sure everyone listening knows that you can make it. But if the process, I mean, you're, you're talking about really getting the process down and don't give away any secrets. But I mean, the press you're talking about, can, can we get a little into that? Yeah. Like, um, I'll tell you all about it. So I have um, a 20 ton um, like hydraulic press on a frame for pushing bearings or whatever, like a, like a shot press. I don't know what else you'd call it. Mm. Um, it's just a bottle jack in an H frame and there's a platform and I have the mold. It's an aluminum plate with four walls and the top plate that goes on there. And I have it lined with, um, HDPE sheets, top and bottom gives it a nice, uh, glossy finish to it. And then it also, you know, releases it because God, man, that'd be like a horrible mess, right? Get that stuff in there. Oof. Uh, you'd be able to get it out. But, um, yeah, it's just a uh, layers of paper, layer of epoxy, and then uh, there's tricks to this. Now, I'll, like, uh, I'll tell you all about the rabbit holes I've gone into with it, but basic way to do it, you put your material in there, saturate it with the epoxy, and you put another layer on, and you do it and do it and do it, and then you test it, and you see how much pressure you need versus how many sheets of material you're going to use to get whatever thickness you're going to need. You can compress material as thin as you can get it, I guess. However, you can shoot out your resin if the material is too porous. So mm. there's the other issue of the material has to be porous enough, and not every paper is the right kind of paper. And if it's not... Um, I was going to ask you about that. Any special paper you need? Yeah. So that's why I was saying, like, when I went to art school, I figured out all the best kinds of paper for doing printmaking because that was the type of photography route that I wanted to go into. And printmaking and photography is kind of like the machine tool shop operator for outsourcing your folder design to. So I'd be responsible for prototyping the print, finding the material that it's going to accurately represent those colors on and then transfer it onto that and then be able to make the machines do the 1,000 copies that you would need to have for that print to be sold, right? Hmm. So um, the paper that I use is a pure cotton or rag type paper. It's a natural fiber. So it is basically just randomly oriented cellulose fibers, just like particle board or MDF would be for wood. That's just cut into a sheet. So all you're doing really is taking all those pieces, and since they're um, handmade papers uh, out of that loose fiber, it sucks up the resin fantastically. If you go to um, like Walmart or Staples and get the like a pack of printer paper, that shit's been like hot rolled and pressed and squeezed and manufactured to be done like boom, boom, boom. I need a million reams of that tomorrow. Whereas like, I think the paper I get, they make it, you know, like in batches. And then you can only get the cup, the certain colors, certain times. And then when they sell it, they're done. Hmm, so, expensive paper. It's expensive, but it's not really, it's like $20 for like a ream, like what you'd put in your printer. Where you're yeah. going with this, I can't help but like think about it. And I'm sure somebody's tried it or done it. Um, could you do it with money? Could you do it with bills? Yeah. Yeah, you can do yeah. it with money. Um, my uh, friend Adam Brackney, I think is how you say it, Workerman on Instagram, mm -hmm. he's got some kind of resiny thing with money in it. I think he calls it blood money. Yeah, is that the shredded right. money they get from the mint? Yeah. Okay, I've, yeah, I've seen that. I'm yeah, I wonder how that would work because I don't know what money is coated with. It's not like it doesn't soak up 
Well, no, so uh, I made some of that stuff when I was doing kitchen knives. You're not using resin, like fiberglass resin. You're you're pouring acrylic over it, so you're encasing it. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what that's I'm different. thinking. Like, uh, oh, okay. not the shred stuff, but like just flat bills. Oh no, no one's really did flat bills. It's also mm-hmm. illegal. It's because uh, you're destroying money. You take the shred money, but you're you're using the acrylic resin, so you're encasing mm-hmm. it. Kind of like what you, you see the woodworkers; they do the, all the pours and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah that's right. Yeah. It's the same resin, and they just pretty much encase the money. And then they'll, they'll, if you did it like in yeah. layers, just hundred dollar yeah. bills, dude. Lay yeah, it down. I was gonna go two dollar bills. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I got more of them. All right. So is yeah, the, but... is the color of the micarta is the pigment the the colors you were going for is that from the paper or or is that like a pigment that you would add to the paper? Oh, both. Man, rabbit holes. Okay. So basically, the micarta is gonna be the color of the paper if you put oil on it. Like you know how you can get paper wet, and then it'll be much darker, much more saturated in color. Okay. That's a rough representation of what it's going to look like finished. Okay. Now, however, that's going to depend on how you, as the craftsperson, are going to finish the material. Hmm. That's far out. So, I mean, there's just options galore with pigment. It's just yeah. like a whatever you want. Yeah, I've done dyes. I've done transtint. Um... I've tried to do like that crust layer, how the really old micartas, they'll be brown on the top from oxidation and then bright yellow on the inside. Oh, yeah. I, you can do that with solar damage, too. So like I, I'll make them, and when the epoxy's not quite cured, like it takes like a month or two months for the stuff to actually like cure. I'm using some oh. right now that I've made like the first blocks of it. And I wasn't quite sure because if I'd use my thumbnail and I could peel some of the layers up off of it, I'd be like, I don't know about that when I throw it in the junk drawer, you know. But um, just enough time has passed now that I've found out, man, that stuff just needs to set for two months, like before it's actually dry on, you know, to, to what it should be. It yeah, finishes it right, just like fresh. Yeah, like I, I used it the two days after for making it and it. It's fine, you know. It is definitely like harder if you wait two weeks. It's definitely two weeks is the right time to do it. But man, like a year from now, I'm sure it's like impossible to put my fingernail under any of it now. It's really impressive stuff. I think it's just really cool because it's it's paper. It's glued together paper, and it's right. really cool. I just it blows my mind. This seems like one of those things where when someone's describing it, someone listening is going to be like, "Oh man, I totally need to do this. It seems really simple." But then, in actuality, there's thousands of hours of research and madness yeah. going into this product. Yeah, yeah, let them do it. Let not... them ruin their weekend and uh, get their yeah. house all dirty and full of epoxy. Yeah, now, I was going to say. <laughs> do you still run awesome material supplies, or do you still sell the stuff, or you don't really do that anymore? Well, our press, I was going to say, like, our press, actually, I had kind of a little bit of an accident where um, I didn't put the mold in perfectly straight. And then... Um, the pressure shot all of this purple paper and like 10 cups of epoxy and rocketed like a deck of cards. Like when you take it and just go 52 Mm -hmm. pick up and shoot it all over the room. So that was like the last one we didn't do. And, um, I got, I just got sick of gluing paper together every day. It was great. (laughs) That's totally reasonable. No, the reason I ask is Jeremiah wants me to do a build of paper micarta. Yes. And he could end up using some of that stuff because he wants to get it, uh, What's the word? Scrimshaw. Yep, that word. Yeah. Scrimshaw's the shit, man. I still have all the stuff. It's great. Like we have um a teenage boyman. Um he's fourteen oh. now and needs a job real bad. And I just um 
we've been too busy, but the moment I got a, a minute to grab him by the scruff, we're going to do some micarta. And uh, I, I liked uh, somebody's suggestion on the internet, because every time somebody asks me online if I'm still doing the paper, I'll tag him on that post and I'll point at it and be like, look, see, somebody wants to buy my card. You should be making that stuff. You should be making this stuff, dude. Yeah. Get to work. Yeah, because he's going to be 16 and going to be wanting to drive in my car to somewhere. I'm going to go tell him, pound sand, should have been making my car to two years ago. Buy one yourself. That's so, right. That's what we're That 96 get. Toyota Camry don't buy itself. That's, that's so true, right. You know? <laughs> I dig 96 that. 96 if he's lucky. Yeah. It's an antique. <laughs> You know, cars in Florida, they last forever, right? Yeah. Saltwater. They rust forever. Great. Yeah, saltwater right in the coast. So you don't, that's it for the micarta. No orders for it. Whatever you've got, it's for personal use. Um, but you're not in that game anymore, fam. Like, that's it. Not for the, the right now, but yeah, I do want to do the micarta again. It's just like, um, I need two people that aren't me to do it. And then, you know, I'll make micarta all day. Yeah. It really needs like it's it needs the attention because it's it's like the more you do it the better it is but then the more you got to put into it like anything else like I'm gonna have to get a welding set up and it's like I'm kind of ashamed of myself but like I've never really learned how to weld so I've I don't own a welder I'm never gonna like make the thing to do the like to make my frame stronger because I I basically like warped my frame making mm. so much micarta that um, it bows now. And I don't want like a, a warped panel, so I have to reinforce that. And uh, you know, a million hobby things. Like I, I just wanted to do do it for fun, and then it it blew up, and it got not fun really fast. So I'm I'm here to make knives, and I'm gonna have somebody else glue paper together. I'm glad I figured it out. It was really fun. Been using a vacuum. That's the other rabbit hole. It's kind of like doing a carbon fiber. You can put a, a sheet over it suck all the air out and then turn a valve and wherever there was air the resin floods the cavities it's kind of like um, vacuum infusing for stabilizing wood but a little different so you can do that to make rag micarta or that the Reichlite or Ricklite however you would say it material that's basically just wood fibers and paper pulp mixed up huh. with epoxy rammed into a mold put under pressure and then dried because this is all essentially a pursuit of getting rid of air bubbles. When you're when you're pressing it and vacuuming it, right? You're trying to get it a good good seat, and you're getting you're sucking these air bubbles out. Is that? Yeah, you want it dense. You don't want voids. Um, voids will make the finish poor. Like mm -hmm. you'll have to fill your voids. Like a, I mean, like a piece of wood. It's not a big deal. Like koa is great. Gets st stabilized koa. It's beautiful. It still needs a pore fill at the end of it. If you want it to be like a nice glossy like reflective finish you're gonna have to put something in the pores even if you do it 1200 grit sanding on it it still has pores mm. but the mic card so is oh, i'm sorry go for it oh i was just so the the press is down and then the whole time you were making my carta you were making kitchen knives you were making foley knives you were transitioning um, was it like a side gig? Because you're saying there's there was a there's two different companies. Because I remember when I ordered my carter from you, it was from Very Good Knife Making Supplies, and I talked to Nick, and he's like, "No, that's actually this guy." So you were kind of running two businesses simultaneously. Oh yeah, I was doing too much stuff all at the same time. It was awful. So, <laughs> um, um, yeah, it's just something I was doing for fun, like I said, and then 
to be able to do that, I had to make a 16 by 19 inch panel. So oh, wow. it was like a lot more than what I needed. And um, it was just like, yeah, if I ever, if I ever need to do, I haven't, I'm actually out and I've been thinking about doing it, but I should take a bunch of orders or whatever and know what I'm going to make and then do it every once in a while. Like, um, be my, there's people who do Damascus like that or Samai. They'll take, right. the, you know, once a year order. I should do that. It's a good idea. And so you're folding, you're folding knives. Do they, they still, you're saying you still build with your micarta once in a while on, on your knives. Oh yeah. All the time. Oh, okay. I would took like, I've so, I, I just lived on the cutoffs. It was great. It was like selling pot. Yeah. Skim <laughs> off the top. A little, little bit of shake in every knife. I get, I got you. Pot micarta? Anyone? Yeah. Pot micarta. Ooh. I'm just okay. waiting for somebody to go full net cage and steal the Declaration of Independence and make micarta out of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. It's getting spicy. Yeah, uh, the, 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 the pot micarta was a was a, a subject for a, a while ago. If it'll work, many have tried. No one made it work. Pots, oh. pots, pots too moist. Someone's tried it though. Okay. You could do it out of right. hemp paper. Uh, which the declaration have... is on? Well, paper. No, like like I, I've tried actually Maybe. throwing like weed nugs in the acrylic. It, it doesn't work. Oh, fuck stoner. Right. You could just smoke them later. And like, you I could just smoke the pot to begin. Emergency with. smokeable handle. <laughs> Hey, hey, I tried. You know, once you grind it into the, the, the you hit the nug, like the acrylic penetrates because it's too oily. So it's, mm. it's like, oh, you could technically just pull this nug out. Oh boy. Okay. But I, but I tried it. And transitioning. Um, <laughs> so talk- okay, so folding <laughs> knives. Uh, how does what's that process like? Um, you saw you said earlier you work with your wife Jackie. She designs them. You build them. Um, how, how do you like folding knives? Let's, let's get into that. What's your process like? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you all about it. So to be totally honest, we made, um, we made our first folder without ever having held a nice folding knife ever. Like I went to Walmart, got one out of the case, like a nice, like 30, $40 one. And then, uh, kind of looked at it, just saw it. Cause I, I've had like plenty of folding knives in my life, but I never really like had to like any experience like when I went to blade show, right? Mm-hmm. So we got our first folding design and I used my first water jet service and I had a pretty reasonable experience for what I thought. <laughs> a reason I ran into like a ton of problems immediately realizing that I didn't have the equipment I needed to do everything that I thought I needed to do. Right? So I had a mill and I was like, I'm just going to mill my blades flat and this and this blah, 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 blah. It was a nightmare. Nothing fit. I had to go see my friend Zoe, um, who had like a Blanchard surface grinder and a 2x72 surface grinder at his home shop and he saved my butt. I would never have been able to make any of them. And then I went to Blade Show with him and a bunch of people I'd never met before. And it was all, I think that was my first Blade Show we went. Is that when yeah. you met me or was that the following year? I think it was probably because I met, I think you had a. You saw the Tonto that we had that folder, and that was my first one that I made. Yeah, because you showed uh, me two. You and Jackie showed me two folders, and you're like, "What's wrong with this?" And I was like, "Honestly, or just like, should I just say this is good?" And oh, yeah. uh, it was great, but I was like, "You want me to like really pull it apart?" And you're like, "Yeah." And then, and then we had that's where we we got we got went down that rabbit hole for a couple hours in the pit. Yeah, I think that's so. That's the thing I was talking about. So when I went to Blade Show, I had this knife, 
And I had all these people I never met that were like friends of mine on the internet. And they're like, oh, that knife's so cool. Awesome. Great job. And then you and then John Grimsmo and Todd Begg were the only people oh, wow. who were like, this knife sucks. Here's why. Make it better next time. And then next year I went back and I put another knife in their hand. And they were like, this is great. This is where it sucks. And now when I go back again, like I don't want to be the the tool bag that's always like, hey guys, check out my new knife. Tell me what's wrong with it. It's like, oh, because my knives are really freaking good now. And like, I'm so grateful for people who are not courteous to just say like, oh yeah, look at that mushy stop or stop position. Your detent is your stop position. Good job. Great. Here you go. Have it back. You know, keep making that. That's, that's not like good critique for people. And I'm forever grateful for like, anybody who's honest with my work because like in a in a nice kind of way like the anxiety and the paranoia of that thing that represents you and like it's everything that i want to do is make stuff to the best of my ability so i'm like all about making the action perfect i want it to be right in the middle i want the offset to be just ever so much to counteract the like tiniest bit of weight from the lock bar pushing it in so my tip center you know, it's just things I've been picking up and like, that's what this, this model was all about. The new one that I'm working on is just, I've been um, really finessing everything that I could out of the design where like before I was just like, oh, this is a great fun thing I'm doing and I'm really having a blast making knives. And if they're not perfect, then, oh, well, you know, I'm learning. And it's like, I'm not doing that shit anymore. It's like, this is like for real town. I'm, I'm trying to do this forever. This is like what I do. I make knives and I make them really well. So I'm not interested in making like the 60 grit finished knife that has, you know, um, a, a finished edge that's a quarter inch up the, the bevel grind. Um, it's just not, not for me, you know? And I was there, I'm gonna admit it. Like I definitely was like, somebody told me that I was the beefy knife guy at Blade Show. And I immediately, cut all of my knife widths in half after like having that told to me. So I don't remember who said that, but thank you. I told you what? So, that my, I was the beefy knife guy. Oh, and, gotcha. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't think that of myself, but then I kind of looked around and I was like, yeah, I guess I do have too thick a stuff. Mm, not really. That's Greg Medford. Oh yeah. Well, continually. I've, I, I don't know. Like I've gone from like, I would have normally worked in three sixteenth to a quarter inch. And now mm -hmm. I'm like, Nah, one eighth. That's I'm, I'm all about that's the one eighth. That's a significant reduction. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a bit. I know. I've used the five thirty seconds for everything, like ever. Five thirty seconds, real nice too. Folders, fixed blades. Five thirty seconds seems to be like the standard, I guess. Yeah, it's it it it's visually aesthetic, aesthetically like pleasing when compared to like handle thicknesses we use. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only time I go thinner is like kitchen knives. Besides that, everything else was always five thirty seconds. Just stocking by the sheets and I know I use it for everything. But then again, look at razors. Some of those are like a quarter inch or more. Well, that's the geometry, though. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. You could, you could always there's one more way, more ways than one to skin a cat. Yeah, hmm. fighters still got a like a tall blade. You need that thicker spine for just to have your grind height to have that blade look the way you want it to. If you want mm -hmm. an inch and a quarter tall grind, then it's got to be X thick. You know, there's trig to that. 
Now we we got into how you got into like what made you make the transition, but you you didn't actually really say how you found this industry. It's not something that just kind of falls in your lap. Yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know. That's such a good question. Like I, I've seen cool knives on the internet when I was a young person. I was googling stuff, and I'm like, oh look, that's a really neat one. I think I'd probably seen some Nick Wheeler like buoys, just um like really um coops photos honestly like that's the stuff i remember most like anything that would have been in blade magazine just looking through it and scrolling i've seen those things that was like just um a part of my mind that existed in the realm of doctor who star trek and anything else that i've seen growing up so to just go from being an art student and then working in a deli to now i'm a professional knife maker it was just like a bizarre leap and that's like really that's what it was I just started doing one thing and it just led to another and led to another. And I read it somewhere today that somebody was like being a knife maker is just buying tools for your whole life and then you die. So (laughs) making a couple along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially because like what what you're saying and and when you started, I'm going to hashtag that before Instagram. So, I mean, you've been able to get into the game and watch you know what we talk about a lot is like the market you've been able to see that sort of transition with the popularity of such and such and the material and such and such and you know you, you've been able to to ride that out this whole time and and still still produce and, and sell you know awesome product which is you know however you got there it seems to be working pretty well yeah thanks um that's kind of what i i think i was saying before with the the big lebowski thing was i just uh I think I hit the internet right at the perfect time where I was trying to learn stuff and I was like representing what was going on at that time and just like the crowd support of it because it was that craft movement hit, social media was swelling and everything's changing over. And it was like this huge sweep from where you're going from a market that pretty much existed like in the depths of the forums and in niche markets and blade show to now it's being opened up and I man i get emails every month to be on forged and fire i don't forge anything stock me I mean, it's cool just go on there like i should go just and then like, like, hit it hell yeah. twice and be like all right cool it's forged i'm gonna grind this now forever just and if, you, if you go on you could visit me i'm right yeah, by there oh yeah yeah they're in, oh. they're, they're, they're in brooklyn like 15, 20 minutes away from my house well, they, oh, they, they, record, cause they found me because of that on, for season two, but it was the same thing. I was like, I don't forge. Like, I don't, I don't If I go do it, they're going to kick me out. And then season like, two. We don't really I'm, understand. Just come on. It's fine. Yeah, like, no, like, it's cool. But then, like, I didn't do it. And then season two, actually, a folder maker did get on. Yeah, neither did Ed. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Ed got on. Her. He made uh, the most complete knife in round one. The judges are like, um, yeah, it looks great and all, but you didn't forge it. So unfortunately, we'll have to let you go. <laughs> so we're going to have to ask you to leave immediately. Yeah, you built a knife. We're not here to do that. This is a television show. Like, oh, shit, okay. My bad. Yeah, he got lucky with a lawnmower blade and just ground the shit out of it. <laughs> Man, that's when you just get in a fight with the person next to you, and then you're Snooky. Yeah, there you go. Just start cool. throwing punches and see what happens. Yeah. Just, like, cut somebody. It's like, I'm not leaving this show. What are you talking about? You ask for good television, I'm going to give you goddamn good television. Yeah. Um, so during during your, your folding knife period, are, are you have you been a, an order taker? Are you just 
sort of making as you go? Um, what's been your what's been your process for for selling or or for taking orders or not taking orders? Yeah. Well, I've never really taken orders. Um, I've always just been make it and sell it, and that's been working really well because the you know my demand is higher than my ability to make to meet it. So um, that's always been my best selling point is our we have a website and I don't take dibs on anything. I put it up for sale. Uh, newsletter goes out and they're usually gone within you know hour first couple hours it's weird if they don't sell immediately then they don't sell and it's like the craziest thing and i just i i it'll be like one i really liked and it's like oh i guess it's not for somebody today you know and and if they sit for a week i might actually like if i'm gonna have the ability to refinish it i could maybe make a new scale if it's a folder it just has like an inlay or something put a new piece on there it might you know but i've never really taken orders I've had a lot of um, advice going one way or another between doing retailers and um, being like cautious of pigeonholing myself into taking orders too far ahead of time. And especially like, man, taking deposits and stuff, that's risky if you're doing it for too long ahead in the future. Just figure out how you want to do it. Like, yeah. $50 deposits is what makes me comfortable. It kind of just holds the spot, and if I really want to refund the money, it's not going to kill me to send someone without back fifty dollars. I'm a, I usually, I'm, I'm pro deposit for sure. Just um, you know, fifty dollars is different than like fifty percent, and you know that's. Uh, I, I'm I'm not saying uh, like that's. You know. No, teacher. Like, if I take too much money, I know I'm gonna lose all motivation to make your knife, and then if I get the if I get the motivation to make it, I'm gonna rush through it just to get out the door. Like I, that's why I like to do fifty percent deposit, and like a day before it's finished, I'll send out an email. I'll be like, "Hey, your knife will be ready tomorrow or in, in two days." So just send, just know that like you, you'll you'll be expecting an invoice. That's been working out for me. I usually try to gauge out about six months worth of work, and I just finished my books. So I'm trying to decide where I want to go from here. Yeah, I'm um looking to oh, see. We're always starting over, and we're always changing. Like things work, but. I always want it to work better and work differently. So sometimes we take a couple steps back to take a step or two forward, you know. So always open to talking business lines. I like, Nick, that you're always, you've got that mindset on you. I'm, I'm all product. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I just do Nick whatever I have to business. do to get, I yeah. just do whatever I have to do to keep the lights on. Having a shop in New York is, isn't cheap. Yo, man, I applaud you for that. That is a triumph. That yeah, that's, I just do what I have to do. They need to. Yep, making knives in the heart of Manhattan. Man, directly downtown, and he and he has a, an employee now as well. Just across yeah, Times Square. No, yeah, full time employee. Yeah, now I'm employees. It's even harder. <laughs> a New York salary, it's insane. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine the the health healthcare costs involved for your company must be outrageous. Uh, uh, my dad doesn't get healthcare. Oh, okay, Constance. all right. Okay. Yeah, it has to work like a year for that. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, I mean, if first come first serve is your style, it sounds like I don't know. It sounds like you rock it. You have a you have a newsletter. So people sign up, they get notifications, um, and, and you do the gram, which you mm-hmm. might be taking a break from, but whatever. I don't know. Social media is ever present. Hmm. Um. So it was as far as. As far as first come first serve, what do you go to a blade show like regularly? Are you like a every year attendee? 
Yeah, we've been to Blade Show the past couple of years. We didn't make this one. Um, it was just like we had something come up and it was a, kind of an emergency, so we didn't get to do it. But um, it was the first year that we've missed it in a long time. And uh, it's been an invaluable thing for us to do. And, man, we can't wait to go out to the one in Vegas. That's our next one that we won't really want to do. <laughs> Which one, but, the USN show? Or, yeah, um, yeah, any of them. I, I, I've been to Vegas as a kid, but it's just like, you know, it's a fun place as an adult to go to i haven't been as an adult indeed yet. yeah we we like to do vegas it's fun no one does vegas quite like nick i don't know what you're talking i don't i don't know what you're talking about i do vegas great just saying doing it yeah, right vegas, now vegas, you'll have to vegas come out we'll have to take you to the pepper mill oh yeah pepper mill let's get yep. the grind on yeah vegas vegas shows are fun definitely come out for come out for usn um now we'll come out for for, uh, for shot show shit yeah or, or shot show for for Blade Show, you you make knives for Blade Show that are first come first serve. We have not done a show yet, and I'm kind of ashamed to admit it. But I I never really wanted to. I, I didn't feel like I was ready for it, and this is probably the first couple years now that I, I feel like my work is like I'm totally fine putting it on the table and letting anybody pick it up and be like, yeah, you go for it, you try, find something that I missed. Oh, so, you've been an attendee in the past, I've but not attendee. a table holder. Oh, yeah, never had a table. Never okay. Had a, but I never really have anything. I could never make stuff to right. take to Blade Show. I've done like um, live sale things in, in the past, and I've, it's been awful because it's it's like hard to explain to people. It's like, yeah, that's a five hundred dollars chef's knife, bro. Yes, yes, that's yes. how much that costs. And it, it's like it's just not the environment. Whereas if you go to Blade Show, uh, it's no like, one oh. will blink at that. Yeah, yeah. It's just what it is because everyone knows that's the place where you come to see things that are made by hand and people who make stuff like for a living get, you know, paid for it. And that's what a week of work costs. So the it's just, um, yeah, it's never been really something I didn't want to go with our fixed blades because they're all, like, I, I, I don't want to talk down my work, but it's like, um, I've never been able to make enough of them. It's always something, like I said, I've always been increasing or learning or changing the stuff so they're never quite the same thing you could never make 20 of them the same way because i'd change it too many times it'd be too much of a learning process by the time i got done with all of those so um i just feel like now is like a different era for me as a knife maker whereas i've spent like the past 10 years learning how to do it and now i'm doing it no, but I feel like, I feel like on that. I didn't attend, I didn't actually get a table at Blade Show until like my seventh year. I always did it as I like to attend. I liked it as a vacation, hang out with friends that I talk to online. So and then like, cool. yeah, two years ago I realized I'm like I'm kind of over it. Like, this is a job. I, I do a show. I get to hang out at night. It's time to actually. I'm like I walking it every year. Kind of just it started getting old walking around the show. So I was like, it's time to start attending it and actually exhibiting. Sometimes you got to do it. You got to step up. Take that. Take that full time job seriously. Um, it wasn't that. It just I enjoyed walking around, and after doing it for seven, eight years, it kind of uh, I didn't enjoy as much walking around anymore. I, no, I get I it. To hang out with people at night, so I was like, I'll just. Right, it. you were like, I should get an inflatable couch with my stupid friends in our podcasts, and then this other guy who also designs knives so doesn't make them, and just have like a shit show booth. No, I totally get it. Like I, yeah. I, I was there. I, you know, I remember. And then don't great. take the uh, couches home and just puncture right. them. No, just stab the couches with knives. Not right. And not put it on Instagram as for right. And then forget well, to do that. Jeremiah jumped the gun on that one. All I right, you know what? I so just, salty. I, I stabbed myself uh, as of that. So 
My SOCOM was thirsty for the, the blood of an air mattress. What can I say? We should have filled it with fake blood first and then stabbed it. Oh. Yeah. That's next show. That's next show. And then, like, swiped it with a sword or something. People would be like, holy shit. Be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Just walk away. Just ghosts. Like, I don't know where that blood came from. <laughs> Hashtag professional. So, Adam, you're talking about Blade Show coming up this year in Atlanta, uh, 2020. You're thinking about having a table. Possibly. Um, I if there's still time to like get a table, I haven't really looked into it honestly. Gotcha. I, could, I mean, I, I would do it if I had the yeah. It's plenty of time for it still. I would think that there's plenty of time still. Yeah, because yeah, you're you said you're so you're in Florida. That's like it's like a four minute drive to Atlanta. Yeah, it's right? not far. If you're at the top, yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah, it's maybe four or five hours. It's oh, that's in, not bad. Atlanta's in though, and Georgia's a big state. Hmm. Trying to think. Yeah. Nick, you're good at geography. I am horrible at geography. If it, oh, doesn't surra- yeah, if, it doesn't, nice. if it doesn't surround New York, I don't know anything else. Just just the New England geography. I, I, I get you. I don't know that one either. It's you. Oh. Okay. I know right. Jersey, Jersey's to the east. I mean, to the right. west. <laughs> to the west. Already failed. Already never failed. Eat, never, never eat soggy waffles. Um. So Adam, what's what's the future for for Bill Sharp? Where where do you where do you go? So you're you're excited about your folders. They're they're where you want them to be. Um, you're working on this model. Uh, what's the next What's the next step? Um, yeah, it's always a good question, right? I've kind of got a few things we want to. Um, I definitely have. I'm played out with most of the designs that I got, and the next big batch that I get water jetted, um, they're probably going to be a lot of new designs in it. We've we got a sketchbook. That's just like been swelling for months because I haven't really had anything new get cut out. Um, I just um, I haven't been doing like the the individual prototyping as much as I have just because like the folding eyes are so much attention and detail and it's so precise. And it's like the day I set the locks and the detents, like I take off the day afterwards because I'm so stressed out from doing it. And Mm -hmm. Um, I just like I haven't cut anything out on my bandsaw in forever. I, I made um, a hidden tank fighter the other day, and I'm really excited to work on that. I have I put it down. I want to get some kind of cool like a big hunk of zirconium or something to make the guard out of. So, hidden tank, hidden tank fi- uh, fighter sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, it's like a 10 inch recurve. I take it that's not on Instagram wow. yet. I I put one picture up in a story, but. Um, it's like, I took one of the ones I I have, I don't, it's, um, it was in Blade Magazine of December last year. And, um, I took one of those and milled all the handle off and made it into a hidden tang because it has a notch for a, um, a thumb safety. And I used that for the top part of where the guard is going to slip into. So I mean, I'm excited to do it. It's like a mod on one of my designs. I haven't done that in a minute. That sounds pretty dope. So, I mean, that's good to. So, yeah, I talk with Nick about this sometimes. Um, but like, still having like passion side projects, like stuff that obviously knife making is a passion. You're, it's fun, but having some other project on the side that you're really excited about, I feel like that's important for makers and and for everybody. Just have something like out of what you would consider the normal like work sphere. Yeah, absolutely. I've been getting into a lot of house stuff. I made my car to countertops for our kitchen. Oh. Like I made drawer fronts for one of our dressers, and like I, I actually kind of just this week we've been watching a, um, American Horror Story from start to finish again, 
and the the murder house one. Um, I've been really thinking about making stained glass. I think that might be cool. Like how like different is that, right? There you go. Yeah, that's like pretty interesting. Like opposite thing. Some old school. Yeah. Huh. I, don't I I think my favorite thing is actually just building my shop, like adding a new because I like to I make a lot of fixtures and jigs and custom setups and stuff like that. And I, I really like building like uh, dedicated like task machinery. Like I built a grinder specifically for doing locks. It runs on linear rails and stuff like that. And like yeah. the, the, things like that are cool to me when I when I build dedicated machinery. Yeah, I don't. Hmm. Um. So you've got a whole book of of these potential designs. How are you gonna How are you gonna choose one? How, like, if there's so many, how many? You just like put them on the board and throw a dart at them. Just yeah. Well. <laughs> Um, so kind of what happens is like, we'll start with a sketch and it's like, like anything else, it's a bad sketch. It could just be like an innocuous knife design, like a oval. And then, um, we might have a, maybe a theme or a shape or an idea like the VPK. I actually wanted to do a knife that had a flat grind that I could mill the main bevel for. And I did it, and it worked, but it took longer than I would have wanted. I don't have a CNC machine. It was easier to grind it with a fixture. But the whole project started by me, um, like, uh, granted, this is, you can see what I'm doing with my knife in my hands, right? Because this, this is a podcast. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, tip to tip, the knife would go tip to tip. And then the holes, which uh, serve as the pivot, would be where the blade got mounted to a fixture. And that fixture was set to a five degree bevel. And then I would run the mill over it and it would do two blades at once. It was great. But like I said, it took longer than it needed. And um, yeah, I totally forgot why I was telling you about the milling fixture. Oh, we're talking about blades. So yeah, we're going to, so I got a design and that one was, I, I really wanted to make a knife that I didn't grind. It was, I wanted to like mill a blade without a CNC machine. And I mean, it worked, but it ended up having, it was just too much to clean it up. And it was a fun test, but really like we just start with something. And like right now we're going to do this uh, Quaken. It's like, I want to make that as a folder. I'm into like the clean, sleek, like thin lines right now. I've never made a ballast song, but like that kind of look that where it's like longer and skinnier. That's a that's a type of knife I haven't made yet either. So it's just things like that, or little milestones or something. I'm not, I'm more interested in casting like a wide net and having fun making these different designs and like elements and learning how the swedge should work into the tip with that particular thickness while also tapering and being correct. Like they're all things like it's just each project has a little side mission that I'm going to learn and pick something up and carry it on through all the other ones. That sounds pretty legit. Definitely. It, it sounds like by the another halfway mark in your career, it, you, you want to make all the knives like you want to make like if you want to learn about knives, you're talking about ballet songs, you're talking about like eventually making lockbacks. And I mean, that's a classical way to to go about knife making is to is to know how to make every kind. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I would say, like, I definitely see the benefit of focusing and mastering of one thing. It is so important. And really, like, can't that be, like, the art of knife making? Whereas, like, part of 
being a good knife maker is knowing about titanium stickiness and the fact that if you run a, a drill bit through a hole in a sticky material, then it's going to make a burr on the bottom side. That it, Now it's not a true diameter anymore. So there's like these things that you have to learn that it's like nothing to do with knife making. No, the, like noble metals knowledge and like anodizing color fractals, all that stuff. It's just the fun thing of learning about knife making. So any of that information that I can get in a broad stroke is like, really, that's what I want to do. The byproduct is getting able or being able to like make stuff with the knowledge that I've obtained on whatever I was interested at the time. Hmm. I dig it. Like that's like some heavy, like material sciences and then the fruition of functional art at the end. So that's pretty cool. I dig it. Can't have people Um, complaining your lock sticky. No, that's for sure. Or that that detent track is showing. You don't have visible detent tracks, right? Who, me? Yeah. Better not. Okay. <laughs> not unless um, it's screwed up. Yeah, right? So um, what's, uh, what's the best way for people to get at you or not get at you um, as far as your knives go? If they're looking to... Uh, become more hip with what you're doing. Um, how do they do that? To get hip with the jive. Yes. Hip I'm with at, the flavors. <laughs> I'm at the built sharp at the Instagram dot Skype grandma dot com. And um, our website is currently being uh, worked on and it's not there at the moment. But if you go to it in the future, it's probably going to be there but not right now. So don't worry about that. It is H-T-T-P-S www.builtsharp.com backslash I'm the best.com. Oh, I got one of those sub-sub URLs. Yeah. I like it. Okay. It's a, it's a, what do they call those? A subreddit. That's custom. That's hyper custom. Um, well, very cool. Uh, I think, is, is there anything you want to add that we haven't, we haven't asked you? I want to talk about aliens with Elijah real quick. God damn it. I've been, I, I've been talking yeah. for like 20 <laughs> minutes and I, I realized my mic has been muted for like 20 minutes. I'm sorry. I was like, God damn, why is everyone ignoring me? That's the only reason I really wanted to come on the show was talk about aliens with Elijah. All right, okay. get it on. Wait, wait, before we move on, I was trying to say people should know built is B-I-L-T, not B-U-I. Oh my gosh, yeah, built. B-I-L-T. It's only I. Built sharp, no you. I kept trying to say that. I'm like, wait, the mic is muted. Fuck. The spelling are specifics are, are, you got to have it, right? B-I-L-T. Again, Sharp. aliens. Aliens. All right. It was a dark and stormy night in 2015. Mm. Tennessee at, um, hold on. Oh, I can't remember. It's this guy's Craig. Craig's farm. Craig is a shepherd, okay? I went to this place called Lambstock. It's a party we're, for chefs. About, whereabouts in Tennessee? Um, it is where Tennessee touches the whatever its eastern neighbor is. He had like three states you could see from his property. North remember. Carolina? Yeah, North Carolina and probably what, West Virginia there? Mm, kind of, yeah. Something, wherever, right there. He's in the corner, okay? I think that's how the geography works, but okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a big weekend um, cookout, right? You go camp, hang out, and like I said, he's a He's a shepherd. He's got all these sheep. 
So they're going to have like a sheep roast all weekend. And um, I was the first person to show up that night. I accidentally went a day early because I, I misread the invitation. And I kind of had to be somewhere and I was going to cruise through, you know, and then like leave and go to the next stop afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I'm with my friend Jesse, who's a city boy from Philadelphia. He's never, ever spent the night like gone camping or anywhere. And we're sleeping in a really dirty like uh, dog living in kind of camper in the middle of a field. So it wasn't really too camping, but it was camping. All right. And uh, starting to fall asleep. And I hear a freight train coming. And my friend Jesse's like getting freaked out. He's like, what is that noise? Because the camper's starting to shake on the ground. And uh, I'm like laughing. I was like, yo, man, it's aliens. (laughs) They're coming. They're going to get you. And he's like, that's not funny. You know, he's getting scared. And um, like, I I could tell it's a train because it's like, and then Mm -hmm. you see the lights coming and it gets closer. And then it's real loud chugging and then it chugs on by and it goes right and um so like i said i show up in this field he put me in the camper for the night because it was a day early it was the only person there it was dark the next morning we wake up and i'm in the middle of a field there are no train tracks anywhere hmm, weird and um we what? never really saw what happened but there was a earth shaking light that came and went and i um had it an out-of-this-world experience that night. I'll tell you what. So all those signs pointed to train. All the signs pointed to train, except the lack of train tracks. So we will mm-hmm. also accept ghost train as an explanation. So it was pretty close for you to see the lights. Yeah, it was like if you were across the street from a freight train and it was real loud. That's like literally the experience I had, except there was no train tracks later on because I was in the middle of a field. So the light was like filling up the trailer, like as if it was like coming towards you or or was it just like an all around you light? No, it was like a point of light. Like I said, like a train. It's coming. It came. It went. But it was so loud. And then it was gone. And it was a train. Like, that's what it sounded like. I don't know. And you were just in the middle of a field. Middle of a field. Full of sheep. Huh. Ah, I don't know. Yeah. Weird experience. But I... You know. That's very strange. All right. All there's, right. There's a time and a place to share it. This was it. Yeah. I, That's pretty unique as far as like <laughs> yeah. you know, UFO stories. Well, thank you. That's yeah. a fresh one. That don't yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um it's catalog here for it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was that the first and only alien experience that you've that you've had thus far? Well, I'll tell you, that's the first thing that I've experienced that I was like, I just don't know what that was. Hmm. Um, I was a young person growing up in the time of X-Files, so I really wanted yeah. to believe. Oh, yeah. And I one time saw a light descend from the clouds, like a cloudy thing. It was cool because it came, it was like illuminating the clouds. It came out from underneath of it, and then it went like, un, like away not at a, an unreasonable speed or anything, but it could have been a helicopter. I was young. I don't know. But I remember it scared the shit out of me. Hmm. Wow. See, I'm reasonable. I want to see something awesome, but, like, I'm not going to, like, like, I want to see it, you know? Yeah, that's, the, that's always the, uh, the trope. It's like, you want to see it, so it's like wanting to see kind of prevents you from ever seeing one because yeah. they somehow yeah. know. I want to be Richard Dreyfus, you know, and, like, go up 
brisket. Let them eat me if they want. But you know what? I did it. Did you see the new JRE with the uh, uh, pilot on there talking about the uh, encounter he had? I don't know what JRE is, so I hadn't seen that. Joe Rogan experience. Oh, oh no, um, no, I haven't listened to Joe's show in a minute. But oh, that, that one's. I mean, Bob Lazar was on there, so all right, that mm. one's definitely worth a listen. And uh, the, the Netflix one... documentary. Yeah, that oh, one Bob. too. Yeah, Bob Lazar's. Mm-hmm. Isn't there that song? Bob Lazar, Bob Lazar. Uh, he's been in the media for a while with his alien nonsense. Yeah, he worked out at uh, S4, uh, the uh, site close to Area 51. Did you go? Did you? Did you bum rush? Ooh. I did not. I was uh, in Paris at the time. God damn it. <laughs> Surprisingly, that's not me. There yeah, were apparently it was not a, that uh, many people there. I'll tell you what, yeah, it was a it was a uh, a no go, no show on the uh, yeah. crowd of raiders. People wanted to believe, but didn't want to follow through and or get shot, um, or get federally trespassed. Yeah, which is not, I mean, not great to have on the record. They should have just put it like a nice table up with some cupcakes and like really like threw them a loop. Be like, yeah, come on, come check you it out. Sneak in, yeah, just just today though. That's it. And like, just you know, today. The, the pilot's name is David Fravor, if you get a chance to look at that one. Uh, he talks about he encountered a uh, UFO on a flight uh, just, I think, just like west of San Diego hmm. on the ocean. <laughs> and this podcast has officially gone off the rails. So if anybody listening has had a similar experience, please feel free Come to reach out to either Bladeology or, or Build Sharp and, and share your experiences. Um, we'd love to have you on to talk about uh, your strange encounters of any kind, um, as knife making is always somewhat of a strange encounter. Nick, you want to play us out? You've been listening to episode 20 of the Bladeology Podcast with our guest, Adam, from Bill Sharp. Make sure to go check him out. It's Elijah signing off. Thanks, everybody, for listening. It's been a great episode. Uh, We got to 20. I didn't think we'd do it, but we did. Adam, thanks for coming on. This is Jeremiah Burbank. I'm signing off. Man, it's been a blast. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great night. Thanks, Adam. My name is Jeff.